Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. I feel like that music should continue as I preach, just to feel, you know, the presence. Good morning, church. I want to ask you a question. I want to start with a question. What was, what was the reaction from your friends and family when you gave your life to Christ and you shared it with them? That's nice. <laughs> Good, bad, surprised. I see thumbs down there. Not a great experience. So my, my reaction, I, I remember when, when I gave my life to Christ, one of the guys who started discipling me said to me, okay, I need you to go home and I need you to share with people what Christ has done for you. So I said, I'm a student and everyone lives in Namibia. I don't have airtime. I'm broke. And so he said, you can write an email. Right? So he pulls out his laptop. He says, we can start writing it now. I thought, okay. So I type out this email. And he says, I'm going to email it to you because I don't want to force you to write this email. Like sitting there and making me do it wasn't doing that already. So he sent me this email and he says, look over it. And if you're happy with it, send it. So I look over it and I send it to all my friends and all my family who had email addresses or Facebook pages because that was new back then. Um, and, I, and I remember a few people having different reactions. A friend of mine said, ah, this is a phase. It's because you're in Cape Town and you're all alone. Right? And another cousin of mine called. He, right after getting the email, he called me laughing. It was, it was a couple of days after the beginning of April, and he thought, this is an April Fool's joke. There is no way. Because we, we used to joke about how if me and him walked into a church, that instantly we would combust like just explode on the spot. And so he laughed and, and, and I said, no, this is, this is for real. And one of my favorite reactions was actually from my roommate, uh, this, this guy, Koirin, who we went to school together. And he, um, he's Muslim and he lives in Indonesia right now. But uh, our two years that we were in Cape Town, we were together. And I remember him saying on the day, he said, oh, this is very good. This is, you've joined me. And I said, I don't think... I'm not following Allah. And he said, no, no, you've joined me. I've been trying to be a good Muslim for two years, and now I have someone to walk along with me. See, he had, he had grown up in, in a household where his mom was a Christian and then married his, his dad, who was Muslim, and then converted. And so he said, his mom told him, it's all the same. We're all following God. And so we debated back and forth with my vast knowledge of being a believer in one day. Um, and after two weeks, he one of one of the days I remember, uh, we we had our, our, our mattress actually sleeping bags. We had sleeping bags. Um, we were very broke students, so we had these sleeping bags. And mom did send money for a mattress, but sometimes that money can be used for fun instead of mattresses. So we had our sleeping bags that we slept on, and I and I remember I would put my Bible in between, so it was his sleeping bag. I don't know why he had a sleeping bag. He was more responsible than I was. And then I had my Bible right next to my sleeping bag and I would pick it up. And he would get mad at me because he said, you don't put a holy book on the ground 
and his Quran was in our cupboard on a little blanket right at the top. And, and, and if I wanted to look at it, I had to wash my hands first, dry them, and then he had to inspect them, and then I could look at it. But mine was on the ground, and he was very upset with me. And he, he was arguing, with me, this is not the way you treat a holy book. This is God's word. You don't do this. He's scolding me like a full-on scolding. And then I said, okay, I'm sorry, Corin, but my Bible is going to stay here. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's a Bible. It's, it's not the physical pages. It's the words in there that give life. And after, after arguing, he said, you know what? But I must say, even though you don't respect your Bible, a lot has changed in these last two weeks. And he admitted to me that he was actually frustrated and irritated with me for all this change that had been happening. And he'd been, he said, I've, I've been trying to be a good Muslim for two years since we were in grade 11. And you have had all this change happen in two weeks. I tried to explain to him that, no, this is, this is God. This is me being born again, which was saying that sentence to him. I remember him just looking at me like, what is this guy even saying? So once again, with my limited knowledge, tried to explain this very deep concept to him. It did not work. He just, he just decided that, no, he just needs to be a better Muslim. That was, that was a, a reaction, and I love that. I love that reaction. That, that reminded me of who my God is and that he was working in me. I didn't even know. I wasn't even recognizing this. It's him who was pointing it out. That all this stuff has changed. The way you've spoken has changed. How you act has changed. Um, you read this book all the time, even though you leave it on the ground. Right? He saw all this change. And it's something that God does. He says, yeah. and there's, there's another character. I love, I love the story of Paul. Paul is my, my favorite conversion story because it's this extreme change. It's a complete 180. It's from one person to another. So we're going to read from um, Acts, and I'm reading from the NLT. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around, around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off of the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible, ter terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. 
And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I'll show, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he stayed, he, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began to, uh, preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them uh, and take them in chains to the leading priests? I love that reaction at the end, that as he is preaching, sharing this message, I can see disbelief in the hearts of many people. Maybe some who, who were Pharisees like he was thinking, but Paul... Wasn't this just a couple of days ago? Didn't you beg us to give us the authority, to give you the authority to go and arrest people? And now you're preaching their message? That Paul had gone from begging to go and arrest and kill the followers to desperately trying to bring people to Christ. That he was the man who was standing there approving of, of Stephen being killed as he's preaching this message of the gospel. And now he's preaching the very same message. He went from chasing believers to kill them to pursuing people to bring them to Jesus. He's chasing after souls now for Christ. It even says that he was so feared as a persecutor of the church that when he, first went, when he went back to Jerusalem, that the people were scared to meet him. The believers didn't believe. They thought this must be some sort of a trap. That he wants to come and meet with us, please. If, I, can, I can imagine that, that it was days and days and days. They don't say, but it, I, I think of Ananias having to, to say, hey, no, this is, this is real, and I'm not a spy. I promise you, I haven't been paid. Paul has really, Saul has really come to Christ. This 180, this transformation that only God could have done. And the thing is, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible that... that Jesus chose Paul, the, the, the persecutor, the one who was, who was zealously thinking that he's following God. I'm doing this for God's sake. And he was amongst the people who a lot of them did not believe that Jesus was who he was. And Jesus speaks to another Pharisee. We, we see the, the, where this commandment, be born again, comes from. He met with a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. And in, um, in John chapter 3, verse 3, um, after, after Nicodemus says, we can see that you are, you are a teacher uh, of, the, of, of, of God, you are a prophet of God, you've been given power, and your, your miracles proclaim who you are. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? 
how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and, and the spirit. Humans can only produce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He's speaking to, to a man who believed, as a lot of the Pharisees and the Jews did, that their connection to Abraham, to Jacob, to Isaac, to Moses, that that ensured that they were saved. That we are God's chosen people. Automatically, we're believers. Right? And that, kind, that same kind of thought kind of translates to where we are today as a nation. We say in Namibia, we're what kind of a nation? We're a Christian nation. If you ask most people, they'll say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, right? That we believe that because we were born into a Christian family or in a society that generally goes to church, right? This is a, a church-going nation. A lot of people are in church this morning. But what our country looks like, the, our safety as we walk through the streets doesn't reflect that. And I think we're in the same place that someone like Nicodemus might have been, to think that because I go to church, because I was born in, into a Christian family, because my parents go to church, because I was taken and I was confirmed or I was baptized as a baby, or because I pay my tithe, or because I crack open my Bible at Easter and Christmas, I am a believer. Or maybe because I do it every day, I'm a believer. But he's saying, no, unless you are born again. It's something that we can't do, right? And he says, he says two things that I remember the first time I read this. This was confusing to me. Jesus says, unless you are born of water and of the spirit. Now, I instantly thought when I, when I became a believer that this meant that when I was baptized. But that's not it because baptism doesn't save you, right? Baptism is, is a physical act, an outward symbol of something that God has already done. Uh, this, this birth of, of water symbolizes God cleansing us from our sin, that he's the one who does the purifying. He cleanses us. As you go through the, the Old Testament, um, and, and a couple of weeks ago we were reading about um, in Leviticus what you were to do if you had some sort of a skin condition, that you'd come, you present yourself to the priests, and they, they would examine you, and, and at some point... They would check your skin. They would do a purification thing where they would wash you with water. If it didn't work, you'd be, you'd be outside and you'd come back and they'd try to do the thing again. Uh, if, if, if different things, like if an unclean person touched a certain thing in the house, that thing needed to be washed. If you became unclean in any way, there was a washing. And this washing was done by, by a priest. That, that, that thing was done by someone else. You couldn't do it yourself. And here we have Jesus who is our high priest and he cleanses us. It's him who takes our heart and, 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 and washes it clean, right? Because we can't do it ourselves. In um, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, it, it highlights the condition of our hearts. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it is. I've had many debates with many people about this, that no, we're, we're, generally, we're generally good people, right? We're all right. And um, I think of a time we were over at my cousin's place and I had gone over to my cousin's place thinking 
we're about to go to the mall. I show up and he's taking care of his, of his young cousin, who's this very cute boy. Very, very cute boy, right? Very good looking child. He looks like he would just be an angel. He was the opposite. That was a little demon. That kid was just running, jumping on us. He had the mouth of a sailor, a groans. This kid could string together swear words better than I could at that age, right? Better than I could at the current age. He was three years old at the time, and I was 16. That boy could swear more creatively than I could at, at 16. And he was just bothering us the whole day, right? And in my mind, and I always remember when someone said, we are good as people, I think of that little nephew of ours, right? And then us as, as adults, not adults, we were teenagers at the time, um, we thought, you know, as mature people, maybe we should lovingly correct him, but we were annoyed. And so at some point, out of the, the goodness of our good hearts, we decided after a few hidings had not worked, because, you know, some, some, sometimes people are, are spanked so much, it doesn't even register anymore. It's like maybe that thing is leather now. The things just bounce off. And so this kid, like you could give him hidings, it just did not stop. I remember me and my cousin being the kind people that we are. We decided, you know what, we're just going to tie this kid to a table. So we tied him up to a table like this. And after a while, um, he cried. And his mom came into the room. And it was a whole bunch of shouting back and forth. Um, but also, you see the goodness of our hearts as well. Right? We're good people. Right? No one is taught how to be evil. Right? In the Bible, it says, train your child up in the way that they should live. Right? Because you need to train someone to do good. Right? You don't need to train anyone to lie. You don't need to train anyone to steal. You don't need to train any one of us to be jealous, uh, to be bitter. You don't need to train any one of us to, to, to be an unforgiving person. That, that just comes naturally. It's who we are. And throughout history, you see this. You see God echoing this evil of, of human beings from the very beginning. Right? At the time of the flood, before God sends the flood, he describes the people as everyone having every thought of, of their mind being evil, being wicked. And then he decides, I'm going to wipe all of them out. But God saves Noah and his family, and they repopulate the earth. And, and not too long after that, we have the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as, as God is telling Abraham that I am about to go and destroy this city, and Abraham is thinking of his nephew who is there, Lot, and he keeps saying to God, God, if there are 30 people there who are, who are righteous, will you spare them? And he says, yes. And he keeps on asking again, if there are 25, and God says, yes, and goes down to 20, and then 15, and then 10. And even says, God says, if there are five people there, five righteous people, I will spare that nation. And he did not. There weren't even five righteous people. And God had already, at that time, Abraham was going to be part of this, this, he was the beginning of this nation, this chosen people, Israel. And when you read the last two chapters of the book of Judges, the Israelites themselves are doing the exact same things that Sodom and Gomorrah are doing. The Israelites have sinned even worse. Even though they have the laws of God, they've seen God perform his miracles, they've seen his goodness, who he is. 
and what an example it is to follow. And they do the very same thing. And God continues, he sends judges to, to redeem them. And, and, and again and again and again, he forgives them. But as you read through Samuel and, and Chronicles and Kings, you see this repeating pattern of people who have been entrusted with the leadership of God's people, kings and priests, uh, those people that they lead the Israelites themselves into these horrible practices like sacrificing their own children. To, to demons. That evil is something that is so bound up in our heart that only God can cleanse us from it. But it comes as we come to him and we, we accept that that is our state. We need to know that we are wicked to the core and without God, we cannot live the way he's called us to live. He does the cleansing. And I remember when, when, when uh, I prayed to receive Christ. I had prayed before. I had gone to All Nations Christian School. And I remember when on, on our Fridays we would have these chapel services. And every now and then there would be someone who would share the gospel. Um, but I was always distracted by something. You know, you always have to keep kids entertained. And I remember at the time, some of the, 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 the preachers would come with illustrations, like little gifts or sweets. And once there were sweets... That's what I was focused on, right? And the and I noticed the one there was there's one time this guy came, and 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 he shared the gospel, and then the people who accepted Christ got sweets. So the next time he came, obviously I need some sweets. So I accepted Christ that day, not knowing anything he was talking about, just knowing I was about to get some chocolate, right? And many other times people came and they shared the message again and again and again but I just did not understand, right? But this time, as I was sitting in this church in Cape Town, I understood who I was. Um, the guy who had led me to Christ the day before had told me to go and read John 15. I remember reading that and thinking, I am that branch that is not connected to the vine, that if I'm cut off and I'm thrown into the fire, I'll burn away. That is me. And I remember when I went into church that morning, I don't even remember that sermon, but I remember thinking back on, on that, what I'd read the day before, and realizing I'm sinful and I need God to change me. I cannot do this myself. I saw such a difference when I walked into church that morning from myself and everyone else around me. There was a joy. There was a, a peace. Something that I just couldn't explain. I just thought, these people must be high on something because they are way too happy this morning. But they had been born again. They had been renewed by God. It says that they're born of water, but they're also born of the Spirit. And what does this mean? In, in, in Titus 3 verse 5, it says this. It says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done. Once again, it reiterates that. It's not us. But because of His mercy. He washed away our sin. There's that there's that being born of the water, washed, and giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit awakens in us the, who we're really supposed to be, who God has meant us to be, the person who walks in line with him, who's spiritually alive now. It says that those who are in Christ are what? A new? We're made a new creation. God says, you are no longer that person who desired the things of this world, who chased after their own desires, who are about their own way. 
who chased after uh, a lust and, and, and greed and, and money and pride, who are all about themselves, I'm going to put a new heart in you. In Jeremiah, a number of times it says that I'm going to take away this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and then write your commandments on your, my commandments on your heart that I will, I will put the desire for you in your heart. This is not something that we have naturally. It even says in the scriptures that we are enemies of God, right? We used to, we used to, we used to joke about so many things. Me and my cousin, we used to joke about how um, being a believer was just boring. It, it just seemed to drain all the life from you. Sometimes we thought, man, these people are crazy. Look at all this fun we're having. And look at these few teenagers who have decided that they want to live the lamest life possible. And then to take that heart, because I remember uh, not not even a couple of months after that, I gave my life to Christ. And now these things that I thought were boring were exciting to me. God's word came alive to me like it never had before. I loved like I never had before. I, I, I had peace like I never had before. I had joy like I never had before. And I started to find real identity in Christ, where before I looked for it in pleasing other people, in trying to get affirmation from this person and that person. But the Holy Spirit changes us completely. It's like Paul, who was the, the, the murderer of believers, the, the, the destroyer of God's kingdom to the one who is building and who was one of the greatest missionaries of that time. He says he, he, he takes us and he produces in us this, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. God produces these things in us. And I was, I was shocked by all of these things as they happened. I remember things that offended me didn't offend me as much. Right? I remember not being as stressed out if people didn't like me. And that's, a, that was, that's always been a huge struggle for me. If people don't like me, I felt like that's the end of my world. Right? But I felt this companionship, even as people rejected me when I gave my life to Christ, I felt such a peace and a closeness that I never felt that I didn't even feel when people accepted me before, when I did everything to please people, because I felt this companionship with Christ. I wanted to be kind. I wanted to be good to people. I wanted to actually work on forgiving people that I'd been angry at for years and years and years. And I wanted to grow God's kingdom. And when I... When, when I had, had, had left uh, Vintuk, I, I, I was very hurt. I'd had um, family experiences and, and that, that were very painful. And my plan was to leave Vintuk to, to, to go and study IT, to go and program the next biggest video game and never come back and earn enough money to take my family away from this wretched place. And then God changed me. And God gave me a desire to come back and share this love with my family. It does a complete 180 and changes you completely. So brand new person. And how does this happen? It, it happens through the grace of God. John 3.16. 
For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his own one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want to say to everyone today who doesn't know what it means to, to, to be in Christ, that it means this, that we are sinful, and that we are separated from God because of our sin, because he is holy and just. And that we can't, we can't cleanse ourselves of our sin. We can try as much as we want, but we cannot. Because even those efforts, God says that those are filthy rags. That only as we confess our sin to Christ, that he forgives us. And then he cleanses us of this sin. And then he leads us into this new life. Today, if God is speaking to, to you, don't leave today without making that decision to follow him. But this, this renewing is not something that just started and, and, and it it's just done, and then, like Brian said last week, we give our lives to Christ, and then we say, okay, Jesus, see you in heaven. It's a, it's a continual thing, that this is, I'm made new, and I'm continuing to be made new. I'm being renewed again and again. I'm purified, and I'm continuing to be purified. But this is, is something that we are called to do, right, as believers, right, that, that it's a cooperation, that God starts this renewing process, but God will not force us to do anything. And I want us to look at ourselves, those of us who are believers, what does our life look like? Does our life look like actually submitting ourselves to God? Because it says that, that we are new creations. And then in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, it says that we are to present ourselves to God, our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. And, and, and in the days when, it, when they would bring sacrifices to God in the Old Testament, they, they, would, they would kill an animal and bring it to, to God as a sacrifice. And this is a picture of us dying to ourselves, that daily we need to say, it's not about me anymore. And that, that essentially is what sin is. Sin is when I say, I choose my way, not God's way. That is sin. From the very beginning, that's what it was. When Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't the fruit. It was the fact that they did what God told them not to do. I want to do my way. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be my God. And that is sin. And here in Romans, it says that my life must be given to God, that I die to myself, that I say, God, it's not about me. It's not about my desire. Uh, I, I'm not going to speak the way I want to. I'm not going to go and work the way that I want to. Uh, I'm not going to treat people the way I want to. I'm not going to um, live according to the truth of what the world says um, I should deal with money or with, with dating or with family or with marriage. That all of these things I bring to you. That our life has to be a continual sacrifice to God. And often I find myself lacking in this way, to where one day I'm a living sacrifice, the next day I'm my own God. And we need to continually be coming to him and says, this is our act of worship. It's not coming to church. It's, it's, it's not reading our, our, our Bibles. If we do all of those things, but don't bring ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Even if we do all the good things, but they're done for our own for our own means, for our own motives, we are not worshiping God. It says, this is the way to truly worship him. It says, do not copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Is this what our lives are characterized by? Are we going back to God's word and say, change my mind on this? And the thing about our God that I love is that we can actually go to God and say, God, I don't, I don't agree with this. When I, when I read God's word, um, the process of me obeying something different goes like this. I read this, I say, God, this sounds good, but I don't like it, right? This sounds good, this also sounds difficult, um, this sounds inconvenient, this sounds like I'm going to suffer, uh, this sounds like people are going to ridicule me for this, I don't like this, but I will listen. Right, so it's me standing there, like, okay, I'll do it. I don't want to yet, but I'll do it. And God is so merciful and kind with me. I'll, I often think to myself, when is God just going to decide this is the day? Just quick lightning, take him out. Right? But God is so patient. In those moments, he says, okay, because um, we are called to obey. If you love me, you will obey me. It's not, it's not I obey him when I feel like it. But I give myself as a sacrifice. I die to myself. There's a pain that comes from that. And I give myself to Jesus and I say, okay, I'm going to do it. I don't want to work on my heart. And after a while, I kind of go, I don't like this, but it kind of makes sense. And I don't like this, but it's kind of working. And after a while, as God continues to show me the fruit of me obeying that, I begin to love his commandments. And it helps me to obey the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So maybe, maybe for each one of us, it's obeying what I read in my Bible today. That as I read God saying, don't copy the behavior of this world. That I say, okay, God, what's the behavior that I copy? What, what do I look at? Where do I copy people when I'm at school or when I'm at work? Where do I copy the patterns of this world um, in the way that I speak to people and say, okay, God, I don't want to copy that. She means, what do I do? I go back to your word and I let it transform me, transform the way that I think. And then it says, when you do this, you will know God's will for you, which is his good, which is good, pleasing and perfect. How many of us ask this question all the time? God, what is your will for my life? How many times have we asked that? And, and often when we think that, we think of this, this, this big vision that someday you're going to lead thousands of people to Christ, that one day you'll stand in front of, of, of crowds and lead them to Christ, or one day you're going to travel across the nations and share with this person and with this person. But God says, I will show you my will if you do the will that I've placed in front of you. I will send you further if you share with this person. I'll give you opportunities to love more people if you love your sibling, if you love your classmate, if you love your boss. I'll transform you if you do these things. So this, this, this morning as we look at this thing of being born again, it's a, it's a call to, to those who don't believe and those who do believe. And if you don't believe, God has this incredible life for you. It says that we are Christ's workmanship in Ephesians, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right? 
in, in Psalm, it talks about how God created us, knit us together in, in, in our mother's womb, and that he knows every day. Right? In, in Jeremiah, it says that his, his will is to prosper us, and not necessarily physically here, but the, the ultimate prosperity in heaven someday, and the prosperity of being able to live in his will, to be an ambassador of his kindness, of his love, of his grace. That's what he's called us to. If you recognize that today, don't leave today without making that decision. And for us as believers, this is something that we need to reflect on. What is our lives What are our lives characterized by? Is my life about being a living sacrifice? Is my life about giving myself up and following Jesus with everything? And if that's not, let's come to God in confession and say, Jesus, I've lived about myself. It's about my goals, it's about my work, it's about my school, it's about my relationship. It's about what I want, not about obeying and following you. And this act of worship is what draws people to Christ. As we, as we submit to God and as God produces love and peace and patience and kindness, people are attracted to him. So what do our lives look like? So let's spend some time praying and in closing and I'll close our time if uh, we all have something to pray about. I know for myself, I need to continually be submitting myself back to God. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for, for what you did on the cross. Um, that you paid the price for our sin. Sin we could not have paid for ourselves um, because you are the only one who is pure and holy, who had no sin. God, we thank you, Jesus, for, for humbling yourself to, to, to die the death of a criminal, uh, that we would have life. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us into this new life, that you yourself cleanse our, our filthy hearts, our hearts that are sinful, that are far from you, and that you change us, you you give us this new heart of flesh that desires to love you and to know you. Thank you, God, that you write your commandments on our hearts, that, that those who know you cannot continue sinning without being bothered to the core. Thank you, Jesus, for changing us in that way. And thank you that that's not the way that you leave us, um, but that you, uh, that you um, sanctify us and purify us and make us more and more like you, that we are your ambassadors, that, that, that we reflect your goodness to this world, that people would be drawn to you. And God, we need, we, we, we need you, and our world desperately needs you. So lead us, those who know you, to, to reflect that. Lead us to die to ourselves and to live for you, to live as, as the new creation, as the one who's been born again. May we be, be born again and grow in you. I pray for those who don't know you this morning. I pray, um, Lord, that you draw them to yourself, that today they would make that decision to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.